Children threatened with needles and injected with powerful drugs, and their parents have no idea this is happening. We've told you before about the people who voluntarily seek mental help but get locked up against their will. Well, tonight, Charlotte Huffman reveals yet another disturbing practice. Took me in my room, and they were like, bend down, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm pregnant. 16, pregnant, and she says punished with an injection because she demanded to see a doctor. That's the story of one girl. She asked we not use her name. They put me on a chair and held my arms. And they pulled your pants down and gave you the shot? Yeah, put it in my cheek. Her story begins at this for-profit psychiatric hospital in Garland. Her parents voluntarily admitted her, but then say the hospital wouldn't let her go. I was supposed to be there only a night, and they kept me there for eight days. Welcome back to BTR News, Reverend Shaw. Well, thank you very much, my brother. I appreciate you greatly and the work that you do also. Thank you. Uh, the Citizens Commission on Human Rights, which you are a spokesperson for, has a couple of campaigns it is bringing to the public's attention. Of the first of the two you will be discussing with me is the uh, CCHR Task Force Against Racism and Modern Day Eugenics. Um, your organization supports a federally banned restraint on chokeholds in so-called warrior training. Uh, the Task Force Against Racism and Modern Day Eugenics announced its support for current federal consideration of legislation to ban police use of chokehold restraints, but it also wants prohibition of such restraint use extended to behavioral institutions where teens have died. Now, Reverend Shaw, you used to work as a sheriff deputy between 1980 and 1993. That's 13 years you put in as a Los Angeles County Sheriff deputy, which your bio says included organizing and implementing the Sheriff's Youth Athletic League. Talk to me about your professional opinion on these chokeholds utilized by LEOs, which of course that stands for law enforcement officers, which if I am not mistaken, are meant to cut off air and blood to the brain leading to unconsciousness and in some cases can lead to death. I mean, what is your professional opinion on the use of these chokeholds? Well, I feel professionally and um, that chokeholds uh, should be banned. Um, sometimes you may have to put a person in a hole uh, for restraint to protect the person, but then that should be a more of a martial arts chokehold that puts you to sleep and not crush your windpipe or cause death. Um, I was a former martial artist and, uh, in Shotokan, and you can get a guy in a chokehold and you can basically put him to sleep without, without hurting him at all. We see it in the MMA fightings and things and, and people get choked out. And so, but what we have is people uh, using restraints where the arm, bone and stuff is across the, the throat and, and those things can be very dangerous. And even as a martial artist, if a person was putting somebody sleep, you got to know what you're doing. So, you know, I personally, I never used a chokehold on anybody in law enforcement. When I was a law enforcement officer, I do not agree that it's necessary to do that. Um, and, but what has to be the public discussion is what is the appropriate 
way of restraining somebody because some of these people are on drugs, they're extremely strong. Other people know how to break different holes. The law enforcement officer has to get it up under control because if we can't solve it with less lethal force, then we get into the lethal force, which we don't want to see people using. Now, I think most of the world is now quite familiar with police chokeholds after seeing the video of George Floyd being choked to death under the knee of convicted murderer and former Leo Derek Chauvin. And you say these same chokeholds are being used on children in behavioral institutions. Are these private and or publicly funded institutions where, where these chokeholds are being used? Well, the chokeholds and, and the different methods of restraint that are dangerous to children are being done mostly in mental hospitals, in probation homes, and all type of group homes, they are not allowed. But in mental hospitals, people don't understand. We think that a mental hospital is, is a place of safety and, and where there's great care. And actually, children get killed. Uh, in those facilities with people choking them out and sitting on them and doing things like that. And it goes unnoticed and nobody looks into it. The public can see what happens to George Floyd, but nobody can see what happens to little Johnny who's in the mental institution. There is no recording, there is nobody recording it. And they are at the mercy of some of these people who are not good people. I'm not saying that people in mental institutions who uh, oversee those that are challenged uh, are bad. I'm saying, though, it is a place where corruption can take place and there's no one to monitor. There's no one investigating it. And there's been numerous children killed in mental hospitals. Right. And, and these are happening in both private and publicly funded institutions because there was one celebrity, I can't think of her name right now. It escapes me for some reason. Um, but she had a couple of reality shows, a, a white woman who was blonde, and she talked about when she was a teenager being sent to one of these boarding schools because of bad behavior and whatnot. And now she's speaking out against the sort of abuse that occurs. And I think it's, it, you know, you are correct in, in pointing out that, yeah, we hear about you know, these, these unfortunate outcomes when it involves law enforcement, but I can't recall one story coming from one of these institutions where these teens are being uh, detained or, or housed. Well, that's part of the problem because you can do a lot of things to people under the um, uh, guise of uh, secrecy. But I think who you're referring to, but she's not the only one, but I think you're referring to Paris Hilton. Yes, who, I am. Uh, yes. Yeah, who uh, is really raising a ruckus. But the, the truth of the matter is, there's not a lot of children who uh, have the wherewithal and the ability to get media attention so that their case can come to the forefront. She's just one individual who happens to be a celebrity that people will listen to. But there's a lot of kids out there that the same type of treatment, if not worse, where molestation and all of that is going down in these institutions and nobody will believe them. And, it, and the one thing that people do not understand is that you have less rights in a mental institution than you have in a prison. Really? Because they can... They can rape you in a mental institution. They can abuse you. And then they can say that the drugs are causing delusion. They can say that you're mentally ill in the first place. So you're hallucinating 
the things didn't happen to you, but then the people become victim and people who are predators can find jobs in those type of places. And then the people inside are unprotected. Yes. You know, what, what, kind, what is really scary to me about the Paris Hilton story is she comes from a very prominent family. You know, her, her family made a whole lot of money in, in the hotel and hospitality business. So if that, if that could happen to the children of the privileged, just think of how much more vulnerable, you know, poor and middle-class children are in these institutions. Well, absolutely. And there was a case of a young boy, I think he was nine or 10, and uh, he had been in a mental institution for 30 days and he was dead. And he actually told his mother, mom, they're treating me wrongly in here. Get me out of here. And then she gets a call at night that there's been an accident. And the accident was somebody sat on him until he could not breathe. Now, this was a white kid. So when we see he cannot breathe in the streets, and when police are choking people out, you got children saying they cannot breathe in mental hospitals that are being choked out. And the parents think they're safe there. And I, I would caution all parents, do not send your children to a mental hospital as a method of uh, punishment or control because it is not as safe as people think it is. Mm. Now, we can briefly pivot. Your organization's campaign for current federal consideration of legislation to ban police use of chokehold restraints. You also mentioned warrior training. Can you describe this type of training some law enforcement officers undergo in the United States? Well, for the last 20 years, Dr. David Grossman, a professor of psychology at West Point, has been teaching uh, the bulletproof mind type uh, killology approach. Now, killology teaches you to kill without hesitation, without reservation, without guilt. Okay, it's a military type approach being used on US citizens, especially the poor, black and Hispanic, poor whites. You know, we always forget the poor whites. Well, those things are being used on them. And Dr. Grossman even went so far as to tell officers that when you kill somebody, you have better sex at night. What wow. is going on in the head? These are people who are actually supposed to be experts in the art of living, teaching this to law enforcement officers. And then we hold the law enforcement officer accountable when he uses the techniques, but we don't hold the people who taught them that training. When I left the sheriff department, they were teaching verbal judo and de-escalation techniques. Now that was back in 93 when I left, but they were teaching that then. When did this warrior training, the public is the enemy, everybody out there is trying to kill you, fear-based training come in. And he's been doing it for 20 years now. 20 years. You know, and, and he's not the only one. You know, this also brings to mind some reports that I've seen over the years about members of the Israeli Defense Forces, members of the military being brought here to the United States to train police in certain tactics that they're using to control the Palestinians. Hey, had you ever heard of any such training by 
the IDF? No, I have not. I have heard, um, and, and God forgive me right now, I can't think of the form of martial arts uh, that, that comes out of there that is considered one of the most deadly forms of martial arts, but I have not heard personally that they brought people over here to train the techniques to kill or hurt. But I do know that David Grossman and some others have been teaching military type. It's a thought process. It wasn't necessarily, to my knowledge, a physical training. Okay. Now, in the press release from your organization, it says the U.S. Justice Department just announced a probe into a pattern or practice of unlawful or discriminatory behavior, including training within the Minneapolis Police Department. And you said that despite the ban on warrior training in the state, it takes time to undo the influence of violent and potentially racist training on the thinking of those indoctrinated with it. And you hope the Department of Justice investigates this and the developers accountability for training potential adverse impact. Uh, Reverend Shaw, aren't police departments around the United States engaged in warrior training from small towns to big cities and including sheriff departments? And it's not just the big cities. Well, yeah, warrior training has been done for 20 years across this nation. So it's probably touched one way or another to most law enforcement off uh, uh, establishment. I do know in California, there were several uh, police departments that received the training. I do know also that we've been able to link uh, some of the shootings and killings by law enforcement to that training. So the thing is, and we're still investigating that, and the thing is, is this, we got to learn to treat people like human beings. There cannot be pre-assumption that because you're Black or because you're poor or because of your religion that you are more dangerous than anybody else. When I was in the streets of law enforcement, everybody was equally as dangerous and everybody was equally a good person until I found them to be different. It's a mindset. And this is where it comes in. It's a mindset that teaches someone that you and I are more dangerous than some other race because we're black. It is not something that they teach in the police academies and things like that, unless you get this warrior type training done by Dr. David Grossman and others. But when I was in the Sheriff's Academy, they did not teach this type of tech. They did not teach you to do the, the chokeholds that we see being done on the street. And actually, those are a sign of the ineffectiveness and the impatience that we have when we're dealing with uh, citizens of color. We need to make sure that everybody is treated the same. And then that way, there can be no racial component to it because everybody's treated the same. And if I could say this, I, when I speak a lot of times, people say, do you think it's the training that needs to be handled or they don't have good enough training? No, they have good enough training. If it wasn't good enough, then they would be killing white people the same way they kill black people and Hispanics and poor. So because when you approach a, a white individual versus a black or Hispanic or Asian, you treat them differently, that has nothing to do with training. That goes back to what I said about mindset. Well, I, while you were speaking, I was just thinking, you know, over the years that I've been doing Black Talk Radio News and, of course, reading a lot of news, especially related to, to police violence. But 
even outside of the training, I think that a warrior mentality, you know, that goes along with the um, the uh, program, the federal program that gives surplus military equipment to these police departments. But I think that some of these police officers develop this mentality, this, you know, like they're going to war in the streets of, of America aside from any training. And I think that's an individual um, uh, individual type personality disorder. And I think more should be done to screen, you know, uh, applicants who want to join the police department. Have you given any thought to that or your organization? Yeah, uh, the problem is, is they don't have a method in spite of all the mental health abilities and, and propaganda, they, ha they have no method of, of really detecting those who don't fit in with the force. They have no real method of determining uh, if people are walking into departments and becoming members of law enforcement that have racial biases and, and things like that. Those things can be detected, but what happened was you still are trying to to override a culture, we forget that the, the people in law enforcement now, many of them heard the war stories and listened to the, the trains and people were trained by people from the past. In the 60s, that's not too far from us. Those who, were, who came out of the streets in the 70s and the 80s we're training the people who were going into the streets. So we're still having the residue of law enforcement officers who were receiving bad information, who wanted to be able to tell war stories, who wanted to be able to be one of the boys. All of that has to change. And the only way that change is if you make police officers accountable for their actions, you know? And when, if, if, if I'm a law enforcement officer and you are my sergeant or lieutenant and I'm receiving, oh, three, four write-ups a year for people claiming that I mistreated them, then they should be moving me out of the street. But what happens sometimes in some law enforcement, you are the one that are, are considered the hard charging and the tough, so you get promoted mm. instead of penalized. And so that's some of the stuff that has to be overcome. Now, let's, let's discuss the Citizens Commission on Human Rights International Campaign titled Child Psychiatric Treatment, Drugs, Solitary Confinement, Torture, and Abuse. Um, your press release uh, uh, list gives some bullet points about some of the things that's going on, uh, as we was touching on earlier, in some of these uh, mental health facilities that treat children. And a couple of the bullet points talks about restraints, psychiatric drugs, and electroshock is still being used. Uh, and Freedom of Information Act reveals that 19 states are currently administering electroshock to children. And seven of those states are electroshocking children from ages zero to five years old. I mean, like, I read that. I had to do a double take. I mean, that's an infant. They're using electroshock. And I would think that the mental health um, community would have advanced you know, beyond electroshock. How big of a problem? Apparently, you know, according to this press release, it's a big problem. 
Well, one of the things that we have to understand is those statistics that you receive there is just part of the statistics because a lot of it we could not retrieve through the Freedom of Information Act. A lot of it is done in private facilities and things like that. So, you know, the problem is actually a little bigger than we think it is. But let me just tell you something. It, it's appalling that it's from zero to five years of age. But the truth of the matter is children are being electroshocked before they're born because they're electroshocking pregnant women. And wow. so when you electroshock a pregnant woman, that electricity also goes into that child. And so, you know, and, I, and at times it causes miscarriages. So the thing is, is that what benefit other than subduing the person or destroying their, their brain, what benefit is electroshock to society, period? That's not the stimulation you get when you get to the chiropractor and they put the electrodes on. Right. And, you know, this is stuff... We're talking about up to 460 volts going through the brains of individuals. So that's four times the amount practically that you have in your electrical socket. So, I mean, that's, that's industrial power type electricity going through the brains of an individual to the point that the person has a seizure. That's the goal of it. Well, seizures in themselves can cause brain damage. Right. So... All you're doing is making a person a patient for life. And that's the same way also when we start administering these psychiatric drugs. You know, it, it, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that this type of treatment has not been banned, especially on children, because, you know, um, the scientists and the doctors say a person's, a human being's brain doesn't stop physically developing, you know, let alone emotionally, but doesn't stop physically developing until they're like 26 years old. And so your ministry, electroshocks to children's brains, I mean, that's just a recipe for future problems, if you ask me, and I'm not even a doctor. Well, you're absolutely right. And let me tell you the danger of it also. So, and because you were talking about the damage that's done. When you do electroshock, you kill millions of brain cells. In a child, when you kill millions of brain cells, not only are you killing those million, but all of the millions that would have came off of those uh, brain cells. So me and you, they kill a million brain cells, slow us down a little bit. But a child, when you kill that million, what other millions through the, all his development have you killed when you killed those brain cells? Wow. Well, Reverend so then, Yes, sir. Go ahead. No. So then they get to benefit treating that child the rest of his life. Right. And that's where the money comes in. Right. And, and psychiatric drugs are no different. It's like you read I tell people when I give speeches, because sometimes people stand up and, oh, you're putting a bad label on mental health. And I tell them, well, if you don't believe me, believe the commercials that tell you that these drugs can cause people to do suicidal acts. Mm -hmm. Well, if they will do suicide, they will do homicide because a suicide is just a homicide done to yourself. Right. So right. these are the things 
but we believe the propaganda of the media who tell us, oh, we need this mental health. We need, how come we didn't need it all in the 50s, in the 60s? We were going through the civil rights movement, uproar, riots in the street. Go before that, when they were hanging black people, you didn't even need really a great excuse at all. You can hang, go before that. We were in slavery. We got through all of that. Now we're here. And they're telling us that we need mental health drugs for the trauma we suffer for today, which is nowhere near the trauma they suffered back then. You see, so we have to realize some stuff is just propaganda. It is not truth. It sounds like you're describing a mental health industrial complex. No, that's exactly what I am describing. <laughs> mental health industrial complex. And when you look at these industrial complex, be it prison, be it mental health, be whatever, these things are money-making entities. Right. That's, I mean, you know what the old saying is, follow the money. Right, right. That's what we see. Mm-hmm. Well, Reverend Shaw, people who will watch this video, hearing our voices, what can they do to make a difference in this fight? Where can they go and get more information on the details concerning these allegations and perhaps help provide resources? Well, first of all, let us uh, take down cchrint.org. There's a wealth of information. There's, I think, a 3D tour of our museum here. Uh, you can, there's a drug database that is there that people can uh, take the medicines that are in their home, put it in the database, type in the drug, it'll give you all of the side effects. I mean, we got things like that. If they want to take action themselves, I suggest that you become a member of the task force. All you have to do is, and I'll give you my personal information, fshawjr at yahoo.com fshawjr at yahoo.com tell me just say hey task force just the subject I'd like to know more I'd like to be a part of and then you can also get all the task force information on cchr taskforce.org you will see the articles I've done. You will see this information like you had today. Um, um, it will be on there. And a lot of other things, the rejection from the, you know, I rejected the apology from the American Psychological Association that they did at the beginning of the year, uh, apologizing for the way they've treated black people. You supposed to be experts in the mind and you didn't know that was wrong until this year. And then you didn't change your practices. So therefore, I rejected it. So you can find out all of that information, but they can contact me personally at fshawjryahoo.com. Is there anything you would like to say in closing? Yeah, if you can, it be at your clergy groups, be it your NAACP, be it your um, um, National Action Network, Urbanly, join these organizations and make this issue come to the forefront. You know, we got to have people standing guard. The price of freedom is constant alertness and a constant willingness to fight back. If we're not alert and if we're not willing to fight, we lose. It's just as simple as that. And they will continue to take our rights from us. 
Reverend Shaw of the Citizens Commission on Human Rights International. Thank you for speaking with BTR News, sir. Thank you for having me as your guest. Let's do it again. Uh -huh.